You know, it's, it's great to be a part of the family of God, you know, and it's an honor really to be considered as an elder. Um, you know, it's a lot of responsibility to, um, you know, serve the Lord and to really serve the body. And, uh, you know, I go come usually to the early service, so if you usually come to the 11 o'clock service and you don't see me, it's because I'm at the morning service. You know, and a couple weeks ago, Doug uh, talked about this book that he read out of, The Princess Bride. You guys remember that? And uh, he asked, he says, how many uh, have never seen the movie? And unthinkingly, I raised my hand because I, I don't remember ever seeing the movie. And, um, you know, there was, there was a few gasps coming from the Spriggs family. <laughs> how could I do that? And, there's a little bit of talk about whether I was actually qualified to be an elder if I've never seen Princess Bride. So. So, so I want you to know that I actually had Marge order that movie, Kim, and I watched it. So I have seen it. And actually, about a third of the way through it, I go, I've seen this before. So, so I actually had seen it at some point with my kids. So, um, and, and, you know... Um, there's really a good thing that's come out of it because there's a new, there's, I, I've, I've increased my vocabulary. I have this word inconceivable that just pops up all the time now. <laughs> okay, so apart from that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, being our God and Lord that not only are you a powerful, almighty creator, ruler of heaven and earth, but you're our Savior and our friend, and you have an intimate relationship with each one of us. And we welcome your Spirit here this morning to teach us, to enlighten us, to continue the transforming work in our lives. And we just ask that this time would honor you, Father, it would further your kingdom, bring glory to you. And we just pray together in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, you know, this is the season, tis the season, right? You know, this um, time period that really starts like the middle of November and goes to like the middle of January, you know, is an interesting time period for us. I love this time period. Now, there's so much going on. Um, it's just a fun time. There's so much significance in it. And when I think about this time period, different words come to my mind. You know, words like um, gratitude come to my mind. Maybe joy, family friends, but also words like stress, anxiety, depression, you know, come to my mind. In fact, there was an article that I read in Psychology Today. It was written by a guy named Ray Williams, and he said, we are told that Christmas for Christians should be the happiest time of the year, an opportunity to be joyful and grateful with family, friends, and colleagues, yet... According to the National Institute of Health, Christmas is the time of year that people experience a high incidence of depression. Hospitals and police forces report high incidences of suicide and attempted suicide. Psychiatrists and psychologists and other mental health professionals report a significant increase in patients complaining about depression. One North American survey reported that 45% of respondents dreaded the festive season. You go, wow. And then he goes on and he kind of talks about what might be the reasons for people feeling that way. And he gives some practical solutions 
for how you can deal with that season and get through the season and stuff. But this morning, I, I want to look at it really through the lens, uh, the biblical lens, and see what we can see biblically that might help us. Because I think as Christians, we have a choice. Whether this time of year is going to be a time where there's gratitude and joy and significance, where our time with our family and friends is, is, is a positive, impactful time, or we actually could choose that whether or not this is a stressful, anxious time that maybe causes depression. It really depends on who we listen to. So we're going to go through like the first three chapters of uh, Genesis. And what I want to do is I want to look at a strategy that was developed a long time ago that is still effective, I think, today. It's, it's, a, it's an age-old strategy that the serpent started, and I think today it's impacting us in this time period as well as, I think, in our lives in general. So I want I to, one, first just just set the stage. So we're going to go into Genesis 1. We're going to kind of look at the strategy that the serpent, serpent used. And, and I, I want to build the case that, that this is a strategy that's used today. Any of you that watch football or have been involved in athletics know that if you run a play and it gains 10 yards, what do you do? Do it again. Gains 10 more yards, what do you do? Do it again. If they aren't going to stop it, why change it? And I think that our enemy has figured out this strategy works, and he just runs it over and over and over and over again, and, and we fall for it over and over and over again. So first of all, I want to kind of set um, the tone of, of the, the situation and what we're talking about. So in Genesis 1, 26, okay, starting in verse 26, it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that, that uh, moves on the earth which has life, I have given even green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that all he had made, and, behold, God, saw, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was an evening and the morning and the sixth day. So, What's the point of this? What did God give to mankind? Everything, right? So are we, are we together on that? He gave everything. Let's go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 15. Then, God, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but... From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. So now what happened? God says, you can have everything except one tree, right? So, do you think that's fair? Do you think that's fair? I mean, if I said, I am going to give you $100 million 
but you can't have that nickel. Would you be okay? Okay, so we're, we're okay, right? Yeah, you want the nickel, huh, Robert? I want that nickel. So now, now, it, gets, now it gets fun because I just want to make sure we understand that because, because here's the tendency that we have as people. We, we do this. How could Adam and Eve been so stupid? You ever, you ever do that? I go, man, if they would have just been smarter, we wouldn't be going through all this stuff, right? I want, to, I want us to realize that we're not a whole lot smarter. In fact, we're worse. Um, so here's the deal. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is, this, is the, um, this, is, this is the strategy. So first of all, we know that they have it all, right? Any questions on that? They have it all. So now, here's, here's what he does. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Is that what God said? No, that's not what God said. So the first thing that he does is he goes, he confuses us, right? Didn't God say this? And we go, huh. Is that what he, is that? Is, so, so first of all, he wants to get us to kind of wonder about what God says. But Eve is pretty smart because she says to the serpent in verse 2, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, is that what God said? Not quite, right? Close, but not quite. Because didn't God say, well, you, you, you can't eat from the tree or you shall die? He didn't say anything about touching it, did he? No, it's interesting to me. This is kind of a by the way. Um, but it's interesting to me how quickly we want to take what God says and add stuff to it, don't we? And this is really what Jesus' issue was with the Pharisees, right? You put so much stuff on the people that I have never said they need to do that they're just burdened with your rules and regulations. And I think today in Christendom, we do the same thing. We just add stuff to what God says. And so if you want to be a good Christian, you got to dress this way. you got to look this way. you got to sing this way. you got to raise your hands this way. you got to do this. you got to do that. You can't, you know eat, drink, or smoke, do with the, you know, all that stuff. We just add stuff to what God, what God says. And so the enemy now is beginning to create some doubt in, in Eve as to whether, you know, what God said is, is really what God said. And here's the thing, you know, I mean, I can almost understand her perspective because those of us who have been parents, we say, don't eat the cookies. I don't think we want them touching them, you know? It's like, well, you can pick it up, and you can look at it, and you can smell it, and we're going to think they aren't going to eat it. So I'm, I can almost understand that thought process, but that isn't what God said. So, so here we go. Now comes the, now comes the stuff that is, that's part of the strategy. He gets Eve to wonder about what God says. He gets her to tell him what God says, which isn't quite right. But then the serpent says this in verse 4. The serpent says to the woman, you surely will not die. Come on, really? You're not going to die? Here's the thing. Strategy number one that the enemy uses, and he, he's been using it from that point forward, and it's been effective and it's still effective, is you can't trust God. 
surely you're not going to die. Come on. God wouldn't do that. You can't trust him. And then he gives her a reason. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So he says, one, you can't trust him. But the reason you can't trust him is because you really can be like God. And he doesn't want you to be like God. And so he gets us to do two things. One, I can't trust God and I can be like God. And if, and if you go, well, Eve, how could you fall for that? Think it. Think about it. How many times have you have something happen in your life and you go, come on, God, what the heck is going on? You know, if I was doing this, it would be a lot better. You, you've never said that? Come on. Okay, we all say that. So, so first, I don't trust God because what he's doing I, it doesn't make sense to me. And by the way, I can do it better. In fact, in fact, I can even do that with Scripture. You know, Byron preached a great message last, last week about how we deal with tough times. But I can just picture that voice when he goes, rejoice always. And Satan's going, come on, really? Rejoice always? I mean, always really? I mean, come, think about it. Has God ever done, gone through what you went? Yet, did God have your in-laws? Come on, rejoice always? <laughs> always? I mean, God has no idea what you're going through. I mean, if God really, I mean, if God really loved you, he would know that you have the right to be bitter and angry because those neighbors are obnoxious. They park in front of your house all the time. Their music is always loud. And you have every right to be angry and frustrated and depressed right now. Rejoice always. What a bunch of Yahoo that is. Right? So, so let's be careful when we start talking about, boy, how could those guys mess it up for us? Because we already know they messed it up, and we do it all the time. Because we are constantly seeing what God is telling us and going, really, God? Uh, nah, I, I just can't buy that. Because, because if I was God, I would do this, this, and this, and it would be tons better. Amen? So that strategy has been in place and it's worked. It worked back then, and it's working today. And so what ends up happening? Because the reality is this. Is it wrong to allow or to be tempted by Satan? No. It happens all the time. But what happens is it says that, the, that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and eight. Now is it wrong? <laughs> yeah, buddy. And so what ended up happening is, is she trusted the serpent and her senses more than she trusted God's word. How often does that happen in our lives? In fact, John talked about it in, the, in 1 John. In 1 John 2, 15 to 16, he says this, he goes, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And who's the ruler of the world? That's right. And so, and so Eve looked in the food, the, it was good for food, the lust of the flesh. It was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. So she allowed, the, she allowed the serpent to get her to doubt that God is a good God, to not trust God, and then to really believe that she was smarter to God than God. I mean, serpent's going, 
Listen, and, and t- tell me if, if, I'm, if I'm not telling you the truth, but how many times you feel like God is just trying to mess up your life? You know, Eve, if you just understood that God is just trying to keep you from really having a fulfilled life, I mean, if you would just listen to me, you would have it together. I mean, you got everything. He's, he, he knows that if you do what he says, you're not going to have all this stuff. And how often do we listen to that stuff? All the time. And so you're going, well, what does that do with this season we're in? I mean, you're talking about this time period. Well, let's, let's look at it for, for a little while because... I think that this time period, really, from the middle of November to the middle of January, I love the time period. It's awesome, you know, and and it's such a rich time, but don't we so often listen to the wrong voice? I mean, in fact, it's kind of a two-pronged attack that we have. One is, during this time period, we are getting bombarded, aren't we, with all kinds of advertising and media and stuff. In fact, not just now, it's always. If you just ate this food, everybody would love you. If you would wear these clothes, if you'd use this cologne or perfume, in fact, you, you don't even have to eat the right food. You just drink this magic formula and you are gonna look like the most studly dude in the world. I mean, it's amazing the stuff because we're, we're, we're just led to believe that life is not fulfilling unless we have whatever it is they're selling. And so we're constantly feeling this dissatisfaction and this discontentment with life because we don't have all that stuff we're told to have. And then along with that, we have a strategy from the enemy that's telling us you can't trust God. God is, 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 does not have your best interests at heart. God wants to mess up your life. God wants to give you a life that's frustrating and depressing and, and just miserable. And, and if you would just do it your way, it would be so much better. If you would just say, God, I don't need you. I can be God in my own life. You would have it together. And when we have that kind of attitude, then, then it changes things because we have a season, you know, and, and I, I, I just, it, it astounds me that during this, uh, in this country, that we can have a day that, that is set aside to just allow us to dwell on the things that we're thankful for. And I think Byron talked about last week about going around the table. And, and just sharing what you're thankful for. And, and, and the reality is, so often we go around the table and people go, well, and we have a hard time thinking of what we're thankful for. Well, I'm thankful for um, it was a sunny day today. And there's so much stuff that we take for granted that, that, that we just struggle with, with having an attitude of thanksgiving. And so often, rather than being able to, to recognize how good God is and how blessed we are, we end up turning that whole experience into a stressful, anxiety-filled time, don't we? Because the enemy goes, it's really not about being thankful. It's about whether that turkey's cooked right and whether the table's set right and whether the dressing comes out right and whether, you know, so-and-so behaves right. And, and we, we end up adding all this stuff that Thanksgiving becomes, and then we get to it and we're, we're exhausted, not thankful. We're thankful when it's over. You know, that's the battle that we're in the middle of. He strives to get us to focus not on what God is doing and all that God has given us. He says, do you realize that that stuffing is dry? 
And, then, and, the, and that's what we focus on. The stuff that God, that, that isn't working the way we think it should work. All the stuff that God's given us and we focus on what we don't have. You know, as we look about, as we look towards Christmas coming, you know, and as I look at this time period, I'm looking at Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year. You know, and, and Isaiah 9 says, for a child will be born to us. And I love these dark posters you can't read. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ricky. That, that, was the, that was Satan. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And, and you know what happens? This little voice goes, yeah, but Black Friday's coming. Man, we got to get, get ready. We got presents we have to buy. We got this we have to do. We got to decorate the house. We got to decorate the tree. We got people coming over. It's got to be perfect for them. And what if I don't get the right present? Because I really, 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 really want the Princess Bride movie, please. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, instead of it being a time where we're going, man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. We're stressed out about shopping and getting the right stuff and fighting the crowds. And don't misunderstand me. Because I'm, I'm not telling you to go home and sell those presents you bought for me. I mean, <laughs> you know... Those are things, being able to love each other and give and share and, and the significance of what that's all about is, is, not, is not the issue. The issue is whose voice are we listening to when we're in the middle of this stuff? Because that is the thing that's going to determine whether or not this is, a, this is an experience that has joy and gratitude and fulfillment and significance or an exercise that creates futility, frustration, stress and anxiety. Are you guys with me? Because this attack is so subtle that, that sometimes we're in the middle of it and we don't even get it. You know, I, I, love, I love the fact that every single year, and, it, and it's, it's happened as long as I've been alive and probably a lot longer, but every single year there's a January 1st. Every year. And, and you know, for me, I love that because it's, it's just reset. You know, I just love that because I just managed to make a train wreck out of every year. So I just love getting to January 1st, going, okay, reset, get to start over again. And it's, and it's great when you can reset knowing that, that, that God is in a transformational work, isn't it? When we know biblically that he says, I am going to continue to perfect in you the work that I began until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? That I'm a masterpiece created in his image. That his goal for me is that I become complete in Christ and that I grow in Christ. What an awesome thing. And I get to kind of look at that in January and go, man, Lord, how can you do that in me this coming year? How can you work that work in me this coming year? And it becomes such a struggle because the enemy goes, you know what? By 10 days after you start your New Year's resolutions, you're not going to hold them and they're going to, you're going to fail in them, so why even bother with them? Right? 
And so we just quit. You might as well just give up. It's never going to happen. You said you were going to be like that last year. You weren't like that last year, and you weren't like that the year before, and you weren't like that the year before. So why are you even bothering with that? God's not faithful. God won't be faithful in that. God can't change you. He's tried to change you over and over and over again. You are unchangeable. Is that scriptural? But do we listen to that stuff? So often we get discouraged and we get frustrated and depressed. It's a subtle attack that we're in the middle of. And it is so successful. He's done it year after year after year, and we get sucked into it year after year after year. Now let's look at the results of this stuff. Because it's interesting to me. First of all, when, 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 when we let temptation become a reality, how often does it impact those around us? So often, right? So often. So in verse 6, it says that, that she took from the fruit and ate, and what's the first thing she did? She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So the first thing she does when she allows the enemy to gain a foothold is she goes, come on, honey, we're in this together. And she gives him the fruit, and he eats. Now they're in it together. Now what happens? It says the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. What's the first thing that happens when we do something that we shouldn't do? We hide. We do the great cover-up. And sometimes our great cover-up isn't that great. When, when my daughter was younger, my oldest daughter, she was great because we were sitting in the room and she walked by the open door where we were and she's like this, I don't have a cookie behind my back. <laughs> As she walked across the doorway. We just, we love the cover-up act. We want to cover up. And the enemy gets us to believe that because we didn't do what God wanted us to do, we shouldn't have a relationship with God anymore. It's an it's, it's a unbelievable strategy. He not only gets us to believe that we can't trust God, but if you can't trust God, why would you come back to God when you mess up? Because God doesn't love you. He's mad at you now. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a devastating strategy that's worked year after year after year. How many times you see people who are struggling with life, and what do they do? They stop coming to church. They stop, they stop spending time with God. They stop spending time with God's people. And all the enemy says is, yeah, got him, exactly. And so they start the cover-up, and then it, take, it goes another step. Because in verse 11, God says, who told you you were naked? The, the cool thing about having kids, if you're, if you're a parent and you have kids that are younger, this is awesome. And I, I teach sales training and a bunch of stuff. And one of the things that I teach in sales training is, is the hardest thing for a salesman to learn is how to ask good questions. And the most important thing a salesperson can learn is how to ask good questions. Because how else do you find out what they need without, 
Well, you know what? If you're a parent, the hardest thing for kids to do is to keep a lie going when you're asking good questions. And they go, well, you know, I did this because of that. Oh, really? Well, then why did you do that? Well, I did it because of this over here. Oh, really? Well, if you did that, well, what happened over there? Well, I did, well, but you told me here that you would, and they go, well, well just what happened? If you, if you ask good questions, a lie cannot be sustained if somebody's asking a lot of good questions. So God says, hey, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Here's the second thing we do. First, we hide. Okay, and if we get found out, here's the second thing we do. The man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. God, it's your fault because you gave me that woman and it's her fault because she gave me the fruit. Isn't that how we are? And then the Lord said to the woman, what's this you have done? And what does she say? The serpent. It's his fault. And isn't that our MO? I mean, is that how we operate? First we hide, but if we get found out, then we start blaming everybody. It's somebody else's fault. It's not my responsibility. It's not my fault. We, we do the blame game. And it's a tough place to be because this whole strategy that the enemy has us caught up in the middle of. It's so easy for us to get sucked into it. We, 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 just can't, we don't trust God. You know, his word, it doesn't make sense. Why would he ask us to be like that? Why would he ask us to do that? I mean, you don't understand. You don't understand my circumstances, God. You don't understand how I feel. This isn't fair. This isn't right. If you were a good God, you wouldn't do this. Then we say, you know, I'm just so much smarter than God is, so I'll just do it my way. I'm better than God. I'm bigger than God. I'm smarter than God. And then we just, we buy the lie that we can be like God. And the reality is, is it's not true. And then we try to hide out to get away from it. If we get caught, we just blame somebody else. And here's the thing I want us to really think through as we wrap this thing up, because this is so critical. Because this is, this is, this is life-changing stuff. I mean, this helps us go through the season where we have a much different perspective. It's not about us. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You guys got that? He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So, so let me help you think this thing through. I want to talk to you. My goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. You can't trust God. In fact, you can be like God. Reliable? And then Jesus goes on and says, I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. Amen. That's the... That's the, the, that's the trust that you place. Who do you want to listen to? Who do you want to trust? And the challenge with this is the thief comes and says, abundant life. Are you living an abundant life? Do you feel like your life is abundant? Your life's not abundant. You could have so much more if you would just do it your way. God, you can't trust God. I mean, you call that an abundant life? And then he, he, he starts defining what that is. God is an almighty, 
powerful, omniscient creator. He holds the, span, the universe in the span of his hands. He holds back the ocean. Just read the end of Job. You don't have to read the beginning part. Read the end of Job. And, and, and we're, we're, we're God just talking to Job and saying, Job, where were you when I created the oceans? Where were you when I put the boundaries on the ocean? Where were you when I set the stars in the sky? Where were you when I made all the, 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 the um, planets rotate? I mean, where were you when I did all this stuff? If you're so smart, tell me. If you're God, if you think you're smarter than God, tell me. See, when we get that perspective, we understand that that is our God, and, and, and this God who is perfect and loving and, and great has put you in, in his plan to do exactly what he wants you to do. That is amazing to me. That is amazing to me. Because I would much rather do it myself because I know when I have somebody else do stuff, they just mess it up and it takes more work to fix what they did than it is just to do it myself. And God says, you know what? I'm going to let Dave be a part of this plan. As big a mess as he is. Isn't that awesome? And the, and the, the, the powerful piece of this, and this is the part I really want you to get because during this season... The part of the plan that God has, the purpose God has for us in, in the whole scheme of eternity is so that people would see that Jesus Christ loves them and died for their sins and wants to give them eternal life. Amen? Amen. And there's a lot of different ways that that happens. And here's the thing, is that, that, that you're going to have a chance this season to um, be a light in a really dark world. And, and, and when you listen to the voice of the Savior, and you understand what the voice of the Savior is, is calling you to be in the midst of that, people are going to see Jesus. They're going to see Jesus, the loving, gracious, forgiving Jesus. And, and they're going to be able to understand the significance of who Jesus is all about. Or, possibly, they could see in your life some other behavior that is really not a reflection of who Jesus is really all about. Somebody who's frustrated, who's anxious, who's angry, who's discouraged, who's rude, who's whatever it is that's going on, and they're going to see that, and they're going to say, if that's the Jesus that you follow, I don't want anything to do with that. See, that's the, that's the significance of, of who we are in Christ is that we get to be used where we are in the midst of what's going on in our life in a way that is going to bring glory to God that maybe we can't even understand, we can't even comprehend. And I don't know what, what you guys are going through. I don't know if you have relational issues, if you have financial issues, if you have physical issues. I mean, all of us go through life. We're, we're finite physical beings, but, but all of us are in a plan that's orchestrated by a God that is all-powerful, that's always in control, that's all-loving, that knows exactly what he's doing. And wherever you are, he has a plan to use you to further his kingdom. If you trust that, then you can experience this season with joy and fulfillment and significance and purpose. If you let the enemy get you to believe that God doesn't love you because, and you can fill in the blank, that God doesn't care about you because, and you can fill in the blank, the enemy's winning again, and his strategy has been successful again. And I tell you, it's time that we stood up and said, no, no, 
No. And to believe and know that God is a good God and we can trust him. Because really there's two things that we can go to the, go, go to the bank on. Two, two facts that will always stand up. One is that there's one God, right? One God and only one God. And the second thing is you're not it. Okay? So if that's true, there's one God, one true God, and I'm not him, then who's in control and who's good and who's right and who should I follow? That's it. That's it. Let's pray together.